And Jeff said, no, no Christmas music. We're not, it's not Christmas. And there's no Thanksgiving music, right? I mean, like the sound of people eating, but that's not, you know, hard to find that album. Um, I should record that myself. I have real talent in that area. <laughs> um, and so uh, yesterday in my officially sanctioned listening to Christmas music time, I, I found records, which are these plastic things that people used to store music on. Um, and and I, I was listening to Christmas music, and I was looking at different Christmas songs. I was on YouTube for a little while, and I found a Christmas song I wanted to start with. And I never start sermons with songs because I, I hate – what? I know this is the one time I ever do it. Jess gave me grief about that. I never do this, but this week I'm going to break my rule. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I'm going to start with a song. I, I listened to it several times. I thought this is, this is something that speaks to my heart. This is something meaningful. This is something powerful. This is something moving, like that speaks to my place, right? Have you all ever found that? Um, like where you find a, a, a piece of music and it just like cuts right to the core of you. Um, last year, Rebecca sang uh, a, a Christmas song on the, at the Christmas Eve service, and I had it in my head for months, but she wrote like two verses onto an old song, and so I couldn't get that version. And, and, you know, I've been saying, hey, you should record that so I can have it, and she hasn't yet because, I don't know, because I wouldn't probably. Um, <laughs> so here's this Christmas song. Um, I, I want it to speak to you. I want it to be as meaningful to you as it is to me, but, but this is my YouTube version I found, so... Gonna play. Christmas time is no time, no time to diet. It's no time for watching your weight. You like turkey, you like ham, you can't deny it. Now's the time to fill up your plate.
Uh, Michael says it every time during um, during any sort of gathering for a holiday. You know, I, I don't normally eat a steak and a burger and a brat in one sitting, but this is the 4th of July, so, you know, and, and I, but I mean, that is like a cultural thing for us, right? We eat, we gather and we eat, and we gather and we eat, and we gather and we eat. We don't even have to gather to eat, but Big Sandy is especially big on that, right? Like, like if you want people to show up, serve a meal, and then the place will be packed. I mean, it's sort of a fact of life in our, in our community, and it, it is not a bad thing. Everybody with me? I, I like eating, and I, I, uh, I, I come from a family that likes eating. My in-laws, thank you, my in-laws like eating. Um, they call it fellowshipping because they're Baptists. They have to church it up, but it is eating. Um, <laughs> and, and God has given us the creation. God has given us this world. God has given us um, all that we have, like, as a blessing. Like, the world is to be enjoyed. Turkey is to be savored, right? Um, food is to be, like, it's a blessing. It's a gift. And it is important to enjoy gifts, right? Um, now, that having been said, and here's the transition here. How many of y'all went out on Friday? How many of y'all watched videos of people fighting on Friday and, like, pushing little kids over to steal on-sale items? I did. I'm not even – I'm so trashy. I, <laughs> I like, like, we – I always find that funny that, like, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're a funny culture because we give thanks for what we have on Thursday, and then on Friday we go out shopping. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I, I, but Haver's not open on th- Thanksgiving, is it? Oh, no, they, I could have gone early. Um, <laughs> no, um, but but here's where this gets tricky. The creation is a blessing, right? The world we live in is 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 loaded with wonderful things because God loves us. However, right when those wonderful things become God, when they step into His spot. They cease to be wonderful things, and they become something very different, right? Um, they, they become something that, that they were never meant to be. Um, I mean, you see this in most extreme examples with things like alcohol, right? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I worked for years with guys who were doing uh, recovery, and you see where, like, things become um, idols, and it just destroys them. Like, it's spiritual death. And, like, when you see, like, the most effective programs like AA, AA is all about, like, finding God, turning your life over to him, and repenting and making right of the things you've done, right? That's everything that AA is about because um, the stuff in this world can never fill us the way that God does. Does that mean we shouldn't, like, enjoy? No. Um, But as we dive into John, this will be the last John sermon we do in this series, but it will be our first Christmas sermon. I wasn't going to do this this week, but I read the passage a couple times, and I said, man, this is it. This is right there. Um, As we dive into John, in context, last um, the last message looked at the Samaritan woman, and um, she was at the well. She'd had a bunch of wives and kind of had um, a loose lifestyle, and most folks judged her, so she would kind of avoid the crowd and all that. And she meets Jesus, and Jesus talks to her about water that she can drink, and she'll never be thirsty again. So if you drink from the water that I have, if you have this water, you will never thirst again. You'll be full, and your thirst will be slated, not because it'll be gone, but because that need will be met Right, and when we see folks, um, I watched I watched a video of like this this lady in a in a Walmart pushing over a little kid for a vegetable steamer, you know, and then fighting with the kid's mom, you know, and it's like, well, that's a vegetable steamer. There is no chance in the world that vegetable steamer is going to make your life better because it's vegetables. Like, <laughs> I I'm sorry, um, 
but like for some reason, there was something about that vegetable <laughs> steamer that made it okay. But it, what that is, is it's a reflection of a mindset that says, what I have will make me happy. Everybody with me? Um, what I can fill myself will make me happy. Um, and that need, that emptiness that is inside all of us is there. It is real. It is a part of the human condition because we were designed to be connected and in intimate relationship with God. But sin has broken that, and so we're far away. And this woman at the well is there, and she is thirsty because she has spent her life chasing after stuff to make herself happy, and she just made herself miserable and is hiding from folks and everything else. Like, and Jesus offers her something that will meet that need. Um, and as we kind of proceed, Jesus gives the answer, a different answer, to the disciples. Because right? the woman runs back into town to find folks and bring people to Jesus. She shows up in town and she's like, guys, come here. There's this guy out there who knew every bad thing I ever did. He, he might be something more. He might be the Messiah. There might be something big going on. Um, meanwhile, Jesus talks to the disciples. And so that's where we're at in this. Um, Wow, I had all this thing, these things I wanted to talk about as background, but we're going to spend forever doing that, so I'm going to fill you in as we go. Um, so the woman runs into town. The disciples see the woman, and they're like, why is Jesus talking to that lady, first off? Because men didn't talk to women in public, right? Particularly kind of trampy women. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I mean, she just was, you know, she was a woman of ill repute. Um, and then um, they come up, and they're like, well, we have this food for you. And, um, like, so she's gone off, and she's bringing people back, a crowd of people. And then suddenly, like, there are all these people standing around. Um, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So they went into town to get food while Jesus hung out at the well, right? Um, the food they brought back was probably dried because it was, um, I talked about that last week. The Samaritans were, like, the Jews didn't like them. There was kind of a racial religious thing going on. The Jews did not like them. They didn't touch Samaritan women for any reason because they were unclean, um, like from birth, which is a whole conversation. Um, but they, in, in, in addition, they wouldn't eat Samaritan food because it had to be kosher. The Jews ate kosher food. And, and the only example of like where you would see Jewish people eating Samaritan food would be dried food because it was really hard to get unclean from dry food. It's the way the law works. Um, not getting into it. So they come to him, they're like, hey, we got this food for you. We brought it. Eat. You know, eat. And Jesus sees this crowd coming, um, and he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now watch this. In the previous verse, he's talking about water, right? And he tells this woman, you have no idea what I am talking about, Right? Because she didn't, because she was a Samaritan. She didn't know anything about the Jewish faith. Jesus is throwing out scripture verses. He's quoting Old Testament passages. Any self-respecting Jew would have fallen over themselves at what Jesus was saying, right? This woman, no idea, right? In the same way, the disciples are there, and they're like, hey, we got this for you. And Jesus is like, you don't know, you don't know what I have to eat. You don't know what God has given me to be sustained. You don't know like, like about the food that I have. Um, and they don't. Uh, we go on. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Now, one of the major themes in the book of John is obedience. Jesus' obedience to the Father. So like God the Father sends Jesus to this world um, to fulfill the law. He follows the law perfectly, even the ones that don't like... 
You think, well, there's no way anybody could go their whole life and follow that rule and never even accidentally break it. Just lives this perfect example of what we are supposed to be, following all of the law to the letter, and um, um, like in obedience to the Father. And then in obedience to the Father, he goes to the cross, allows himself to be arrested, tortured, um, broken, and then dead like to take punishment for our sins, right? And that obedience is a recurring, like over and over again, the scriptures give us this. What's a big deal? Jesus' obedience, Jesus' obedience, Jesus' obedience. And like, like this message that Jesus was obedient unto death, um, even this humiliating death on the cross, um, like it, it gives us an example, but it also demonstrates for us the degree of Jesus' devotion to the Father and also how far he would go for us, right? Like, um, I think it's Romans that says, you know, even when, you know, God shows us what love is, that when you were um, his enemies that, that he sent his son to die for us, like for you, right? So like when I was God's enemy, when I despised God in my core, Jesus was obedient for me, and Jesus was obedient to death for me, and he was for you. And so as Jesus says, listen, um, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's huge because it's part of the recurring theme. It's also, let me see if I can find the... I marked it out because it's jumped in my head in the middle of the um, singing. Um, This is from Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons that Moses preached to the people of Israel right before he, like, went into retirement, like he died. Um, and, And so he says to them, he says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers. Nor, the, nor did your fathers know that they might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Um, so like, like what Moses is saying there, what Jesus is referencing, and he references it over and over again in his life, right? Uh, man does not live by bread alone. He says, I have food you don't know about, right? You think you live by bread alone, but you don't. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You say, well, wait a minute. There are people who never hear God's word. How is it that those people manage to live their whole lives? Um, What happens is um, they tend to shift and find, like, spiritual life and things that are not spiritual life. And they try to fulfill in things that will never, ever, ever fulfill them. We see it with the woman at the well earlier, right? She was trying to find fulfillment in relationships and men and chasing after these things. How filled was she in the end? Not at all, right? Um, it's a little like scratching a mosquito bite. I mean, you guys live in Montana. You all have had mosquito bites, right? What happens when you scratch a mosquito bite? It keeps itching, right? It's the most pointless thing in the world. The more you itch it, the more, or the more you scratch it, the more it itches. Um, and the more we itch it, the worse it gets. And eventually you end up with this bloody spot that you have to wait for it to heal and go away. And there's nothing, literally nothing you can do to make it stop itching. It's the same way with us and God, like, and, and being in his will and being in relationship with him. And so he says, listen, man does not live on bread alone, but there are people who try to feed themselves with bread that is not God's bread by, you know, that, that it'll stumble over myself here. Let's pause a second. Folks will try and live on this. There was an article I read this morning. I photocopied it, and I left it sitting in my seat um, about Internet addiction. This New York Times article where this guy talks about, like, I can't put my phone down. Anybody find that? Playing with, somebody, uh, you know, playing with the kids or the grandkids and the phone is out? I just got to check Facebook. 
trying to have a conversation. I find my wife and I'll go on dates and we'll put our phones down in the middle of the table and whoever picks it up first loses. It is really hard. <laughs> it is really hard um, because we've reached this point as a culture where novelty and, and um, um, being, uh, being intrigued or being entertained or what have you becomes just recurring, this fulfills me, this fulfills me, this fulfills me. And we step away from the bread that God has for us, which is Jesus, right? Jesus is the bread of life. That's John 6. It's part of this recurring theme. Um, doing the will of the Father, coming into intimate connection with the Father, this is what fills us. This is what makes us whole. And so this food Jesus talks about, he says, listen, my food is to do the will of the Father. You do not say there are yet four months, or excuse me, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? We're going to hit pause here. This is probably in the beginning of like planting season, right? Um, and basically what he's saying, like if you were to like, put it in common English, it would be, hey, aren't you guys saying like it's four months and then harvest, right? I mean, you guys will say that occasionally, right? we got a few months of downtime before, of course, I guess if you're like, like Mark and the Williams family, they um, plant up to the point where they harvest because it's like four months of planting and then four months of harvesting. I mean, Jesus says to him, listen, four months and then comes the harvest. Don't you guys say that? Don't you know? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So Jesus is sort of preparing this bigger message. He says, listen, I'm not hungry because I'm doing the will of the Father. I'm sustained by doing God's thing. I'm sustained by obeying. I'm sustained by doing his work. And he says, look, look, all around you, the harvest is ready. All around you, they're like, like, like everything is looking ready to harvest. Um, for you guys, it would be when you go up on the combine and you take that little, like, tool and it tells you how dry the stuff is, and you're like, now is time, right? Um, for these guys, it would be, look at the fields. What do they look like? It's time to go, right? And she says, listen, you know what it looks like, um, and I'm telling you, it is now. What does that mean? Well, first off, Jesus is referring to the fact that he is present. The kingdom is here. Like, God himself has stepped into this world, and the time of salvation is at hand, and, like, God is going to set it right. He's going to provide for us this new life, right? This better way of being, this connection with God through forgiveness, through grace, through his love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to set crazy standards that nobody could possibly attain in order to be right before God or good with yourself. Like, God offers forgiveness through faith in Christ and belief that his death like is sufficient for your forgiveness. That is it. And it is awesome, isn't it? How much better a thing could you hope for? And Jesus says, look, the time is now. And all around you, the fields look ready. How do we know that? Well, you know what? The Samaritans who don't like the Jews, right, are coming out to hear a Jewish preacher. <laughs> They're showing up in droves, but it goes beyond that. Because nobody, like they, these folks hear Jesus teach, they spend time with him, they come to believe in him, but they don't come to know about the death and resurrection until the book of Acts. By the way, in the book of Acts, Philip shows up in this town. Been there before, right? Shows up into this town, starts to preach, and what happens? They're like, you mean that Jesus guy who was here like last year? That's what happened? And they believed and they were saved and like the gospel was spread and the, the, the work was done. But Jesus is saying, look, people are out there and they need this and they are ready. You just have to go out and do the harvesting. Um, and it is, like, honestly, as ridiculous as watching 
um, some of the stuff that happens around Thanksgiving and Black Friday, right? Have any of y'all, like, does, am I really the only, like, I'm not the only person who gets frustrated watching that or feels a little dirty, right? Like, <laughs> people are hungry. People are starving for something more, for something bigger. People, you know, in our culture, they, they feed and they eat or they look at, at dirty pictures or they just entertain themselves with new toys or they're on the Internet all the time or they, they chase after relationships and they say, if just this one thing and it'll be perfect. Or they get to be like in this time of year, it's like Clark Griswold, right? Perfect holiday and then I'll be happy, right? Um, and because people are hungry, like they'll, feed, they'll eat if you give them something worth eating. The harvest is ready. Do God's will. Like, it is now. The fields are white for harvest. Um, we go on, verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. This is actually a reference to Amos. Jesus is awesome like this. If you spend a little time, like, looking, he quotes the Old Testament over and over and over again. And so, like, everything he says is so loaded with meaning. And so, like, like heavy. And in Amos, um, this is Amos 9.13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. If you are out driving your air seeder, right? Larry is driving his air seeder and all of a sudden like Rebecca is right behind him in the combine and she's about to pass him. Like, you are experiencing a harvest and a growth like no other year, right? Like, it just doesn't happen that way, right? It doesn't. I love that farming analogies are so common in the Bible because they, like, make more sense here. (laughs) Um, And he's saying, he's like, look, folks. Look, folks, he references this verse. He says, listen, the day is coming when the planting will be right on top of the reaping, right? When God will give us so much of himself. Right? And we get lost in that because so much that God is giving us becomes TVs and new cars and big families and all of this other stuff. And really the big, huge gift that God gives us is himself. Is that peace that comes with knowing him and walking with him and being in his presence and being blessed in a way that you could not possibly attain on your own. And getting it for free. We should line up around the block for that. I used to take youth group kids when I was a youth pastor, and we would camp out in front of Best Buy, right? And I was a youth pastor, so I was dirt poor. I never bought anything big. I would sit out in the snow, and I would buy, like, hey, look, they have these memory sticks for $4. That's awesome, you know, and you know, it did nothing. Um, we would line up around the block for this if, like, like if it's the truth, isn't it? If folks knew that the rest of your life you could be satisfied Never hunger, never feel alone, never be empty. You might hurt sometimes, but ultimately underneath it is going to be this solid foundation of joy in knowing that even when things are rotten, God is still there and God still has you and he's still walking with you. He's still holding on to you. He still loves you. Um, and the reaper is going through and he's overtaking the sower and they're like in joy together because the word is being spread. The gospel is being shared. Christ is about to die and water it all with his blood. Um, and they'll be rejoicing with new life that comes out, right? It's a fantastic thing to shoot for, um, to aim at, to live after. Um, it's filling in a way that nothing else is. For here... 
the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus says this, for the saying holds true here, one sows and another reaps. Now, this saying, it, if you read it wrong, it sounds like it's pointing backward to the previous verse. But actually what it's doing is it's not about unfairness or not about one guy works, the other guy gets. What it's about is um, we're all a part of this process, right? And when Jesus says, listen, disciples, you are going to join in someone else's work, he's talking about Moses. He's talking about John the Baptist, right? By the way, there's no coincidence. This is a chapter after John the Baptist says he must increase, I must decrease. And they're arguing about, well, his ministry is big and ours is shrinking because ultimately, like, they're all a part of the job, right? They're all doing the work together. Um, I read an article about Matt Chandler, and I swear I use him in a sermon on a week that Jeremy's not here, so I can't point out that Jeremy has a crush on Matt Chandler. Um, but Matt Chandler is this preacher who from college, like I, in college, he started out doing huge ministries. He's one of the biggest pastors in America. He's a guy who actually has a big church and preaches the gospel, which is pretty rare. Um, but he, like in college, um, he and his roommate were both seminary students, and he got chosen to lead a Bible study that grew into thousands of people, and he was invited to guest speak all over the state and everything else. I mean, this huge deal. And his college roommate wrote this op-ed or whatever for Christianity. He said, you know what? I spent the last 30 years being jealous of that guy, and it has ruined me, right? Um, in the end, that's the message here. Jesus is saying, listen, you are going to join into the work of every prophet before you. You may not get to pick the seeds, right? But the seeds you plant are part of God's deal. You work on his farm. Um, I'm guessing that guys who work on farms together, big farms, right? The beer wagons aren't here either. I can't point them out, but... I got uh, Mark here. So the Williams farm, do you guys care about who planted the seeds versus who, like, harvest them? Say, so, oh, wait a minute. You know, Randy planted those. He's got to drive the harvester there. No, it doesn't matter. What matters is the seeds get pulled out of the ground, right? Or the plants, not the seeds. It's hard to take them out once they're – is there a machine for that? <laughs> I, I'm not a farmer. What do I know? <laughs> Only if you plant potatoes. <laughs> Um, others have labored, um, and you have entered into their labor, meaning we come alongside Jesus. We walk with him. We, like, like, are saved by him. We get drafted into his family. We become a part of this awesome thing, and we become a part of this labor. It doesn't matter if the words I preach save folks this morning. It does, right? Um, but ultimately, all y'all, all y'all are God's children, right? I didn't save you. I didn't make you. I didn't, any of that. My kids are down in the nursery, right? And those are God's children, right? Um, if it's God's will that you will find him, you will. Can't escape him, right? He will chase you. He will give you flat tires. He will trip you. He will do whatever it is necessary. If God is chasing after you, you ain't getting away from him. Um, King David once wrote that even if I make my bed in hell, God will find me there. Like he says, it, where can I go to hide from you, God, even if I make my bed in hell? Um, and it is the truth. We are a part of this work. We're a part of the labor. And what sustains us, what fulfills us is drawing into his presence, being close to him, being intimate with him, and doing his will, doing his work, joining in his labor, right? We are all a part of that together. This is what makes, like, life worth living. This is what scratches the itch. This is what fills that rumbling in your stomach that comes back no matter how much turkey you eat, um, and how many, 
like Black Friday Tupperware sets you pick up. It doesn't matter. Like it will always come back. Only the Father can fulfill you. Um, Many Samaritans. So John has finished this. He says, listen, all of this, this conversation happens. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. By the way, going through Samaria, or like Samaria is a shortcut, right? So Jesus has the same kind of shortcuts I do. They take about two days longer than they're supposed to. Um. But he stops and he works with people who are unclean and nobody will talk to, right? You call Samaritans dogs. Actually, Jesus refers to a Samaritan as a dog at one point, right? Like it was a very common thing for Jewish people to do. And so he is there, right? And he says, you know, what? we're going to camp out, folks, and we're going to do this. We're going to stay with these people. And these Samaritans, these unclean, not chosen, racially impure, theologically broken, the whole you throw every nasty word at them. Jesus loves them enough to hang out for two days and teach them. Um, why? Because that's, that's harvest worth harvesting. Um, I, uh, I had an opportunity to drive a, uh, a baler, right? You know, like making bail. And, and I, I followed John, had bail, had like cut in front of me, and I'm following the windrows. And it looked like John had cut across every field he could find, and he was in the weeds, and he was in the rocks. I, I swear I crossed a river once. Um, Because I get the feeling that John would look around and he would say, oh, we could feed the cows that. Let's go over there. Oh, we could feed the – that needs to be harvest. Doesn't matter if he planted it. If if Larry planted that stuff, he was drunk. Um, (laughs) Oh, wait, it was Daniel's field. Um, (laughs) um, But it doesn't matter because if it's there to harvest, let's do it, right? That's the attitude. I'm not a farmer. Am I wrong? If it's there to harvest, it's worth harvesting. And Jesus is there with these Samaritans, and he spends two whole days being sustained by doing the Father's will, sharing the gospel with these folks, telling them about the kingdom of God, teaching, preaching, doing the, doing the work. Um, and many believed because of his word. They said, uh, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, there's a tricky thing that happens here. What was the story with the woman? Did she like crowds? No. Did she hang out with people in town? Did they like her? <laughs> they judged her and looked down on her and thought she was trampy the whole nine yards, but they're standing with her. I'm like, you know what? We met the Messiah because of you. All of a sudden, she's taken from this level. And she's on the even playing field because that's what the gospel does for us. It makes us clean. It takes the past, throws it away as far as the east is from the west. So far has God removed my sin from me like she is in the crowd again Um, because in Christ she's forgiven. What do we do with this, folks? As we are diving into Christmas, because this is a Christmas sermon. I I know. I had a Christmas song. Um, (laughs) um, As we go forward, it is so easy to lose sight of it isn't it it's so easy for the big meal with family or the great sale or what gifts am i going to give or what gifts am i going to get or how am i going to get the perfect family pictures or how am i going to do this or how do i like some people just get depressed during the holidays i was like that for years and years and years and and you know how do i even just get through this season without having to deal with you people or how do i not have to hear jingle bells one more time i swear if i hear it, i'm going to kill someone um (laughs) Not that I would actually, but like back up and recognize that all of this chaos, um, a lot of it is the world trying to fill itself on stuff that won't fill them, right? 
It's like eating Chinese food. Still hungry when you're done. Um, spend your month feasting on the good news that Jesus was born, that the Son of God stepped away from Godhood, like didn't know was not like no longer God. Don't hear me preaching against the Trinity. I'm not trying to do that. But He stepped away from this position of glory to be in the mess with us. Um, he loves you enough to save you. Um, he loves you enough to fill you um, full with the bread of life. Um, it is the only thing worth filling up on in this season. Enjoy the cranberry sauce. You know, Anne's got a great recipe. Um, enjoy, enjoy the old family recipes you only trot out this time of year. Enjoy all of that stuff. Unwrap great presents and enjoy it. But all the way say, thank God I got this. Thank God I have family. Thank God I have these things. This is a gift from God. And fill up on something that's worth having so that you don't throw away the fullness with all the wrapping paper and empty boxes and everything else at the end of the season. Um, be full at the end. In the back, I have Christmas ornaments. If you all have been here for a Christmas previous, um, you know this. This is something we do every year. It's something I love. Um, we give out Christmas ornaments. We don't have trees up yet. I need somebody to bring me trees. Craig, <laughs> he's not even here. Um, <laughs> um, but usually we hang them up on Christmas trees. My challenge for you is... Um, to remember that like, as you fill up this season, you are filling up with the Word of God. You're filling up with doing God's will. You're filling up with the sun. Or you're filling up with something that's going to leave you hungry again in just a little while. Um, if you are willing to chase after His Son, to be filled with His Spirit, to be filled with doing His will, to be um, fulfilled this season, pick up a Christmas ornament, right? Hang it up somewhere where you're going to see it. I see them in years past. I've seen them on rearview mirrors in June which is either because people were that moved or they forgot to take them down. Um, <laughs> but I choose to believe the first because it makes me happy. Um, but hang it somewhere. Put it somewhere. It's going to be in your face. And every time you see it, say to yourself, um, this isn't a time to diet. This isn't a time to neglect the great things that God has given me. This is a time to fill up and gorge at the, at the, at the plate, at God's table with his grace and his forgiveness and his love. Be full of that. Um, and as you look around you, the light a candle song, man, you couldn't have nailed like, the right song better. I was like scratching it out. Um, see, the, there's a line in there. See a man trying to light his own candle vainly, right? You're going to be surrounded by folks who are trying to light their own candles, and they're emptier when they're done. Um, light their candle. Share that grace. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about this food that will make them full forever and this water that will make them never thirst. Let's pray and we will be done. I know I'm long today, sorry. Heavenly Father, pray that you would be with us this morning. Um, pray that you would be with us as we uh, hear your word and as we go out. Pray that you would just put in front of us this desire um, to fill up on your word and your will. Um, fill us up with, a, with a, um, just a, the satiety that comes with, with knowing your son. Um, this completeness, this fullness that comes from knowing Jesus. I pray that you just pour your spirit on us and give us your grace and your mercy and help us to know you in a way that the disciples didn't, in a way that the, the Samaritan woman didn't in that afternoon in Samaria. Help us to just know you intimately and be filled with you. In Christ's name, amen. So grab a Christmas ornament on the way out.